All right, we're going to be in Philippians 4 today. We're, in, we're finishing this stronger series talking about the body of Christ and what we do for each other. And uh, today we're in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Back in school, a friend of mine preached at this small country church outside Abilene, Texas, really similar to the one that I preached at in Cottonwood. A lot of guys did that, and so he would get up on Sunday morning, and he would drive, and as I recall, his church was about an hour and a half one way, and so he would, he would drive about an hour and a half to this little church where 10 or 12 people were gathered, and he'd preach the sermon, he'd lead singing, he'd do the communion thought, he'd teach Bible class, and then afterwards, he'd go to eat lunch at somebody in the church's house, and then he'd talk to them all afternoon, maybe get a nap in, maybe work on some homework, and then that night, he would do it all again at Sunday night services. He would preach and lead singing. And then he'd drive home late at night, and an hour and a half. And I think for his labors, he got something like $75 a week, and he had to pay his own gas. Right? And so one Sunday, he drives out there, and he pulls up to the church, and there's no cars in this little grass parking lot. He can't figure that out. He goes up to the door of the church, and it's locked. And so he, he looks for the key in the hiding place under the doormat. And uh, they figure if you're going to break into a church, you need to be there. And um, he opens the door and nobody's there. So he closes the door and he sits on the front porch and he's thinking, did I drive out on Saturday? And the thought of wasting all that gas is about all he can stand, but he's pretty sure it's Sunday. And so he gets out his phone and this is in, you know, out in the country in Texas and he can't find service. He's going to try to call one of the members of the church. We just, he can't find service on his phone. He puts it back in his pocket and he just decides he's going to sit for a little while and Maybe an hour or so later, down this one dirt road in, in the town comes this truck that he recognizes. It's one of the old church members. And about that same time, apparently, he recognizes my buddy sitting there on the porch of the church. So he, he puts it in reverse, and he comes into that little grass parking lot. And he doesn't even get out of the car. He just rolls down the window, and he says, I reckon you haven't heard. And my friend was pretty sure he hadn't heard. And he nods to the church, and he says, she's closed. We closed her down. He said, you know, the Smiths and the Jacksons, they got in a little fight this week. There was some name calling, some hooting and hollering. Before it was all over, the Smiths said they weren't coming back to church. And the Jacksons said the Smiths can have the church for all they care because they were leaving first. And old Betty decided that without the Smiths and the Jacksons, we weren't much of a church, and so we should just close her down. So we did. I reckon somebody should have told you. Have a safe drive back to town. And so just like that, my friend was fired from and simultaneously oversaw the death of his first church. You know, he had taken this job to improve his resume, and now on his resume, he had recently fired church-killing graduate student. And let me tell you, none of those three things look good on a resume, right? <clears throat> After that, he changed his degree, actually, and he went into counseling because one, one church fight did him in. If, if there's something that Christians are good at, you might list a lot of things on that list, <clears throat> but, but I, would, I would add, they're pretty good at fighting. And I think the reason Christians fight from time to time is because we care. 
we care a lot. Now, not, not everybody in the world out there cares as much as we care. <clears throat> we did this Bible series in one of our Sunday school classes not long ago where we looked at different worldviews. So how do people think about, interpret the world around them? And there, there's, a, there's a small sliver of people that we sometimes call nihilists. And nihilists basically think there's no meaning to anything that happens in the world. There's no bigger purpose. There's nothing uniting all of this together. So nothing really matters. And that sounds really disheartening. The good thing about being a nihilist is you never really get worked up. You never really get mad because nothing matters. But you and me, well, to us, a lot matters. You know, what's mattered, what matters is, is hardwired into us as believers. When we take on Jesus and baptism, that we are taught and formed and the spirit infuses our bodies and leads us to care about really important things like what happens to this world, what happens to the people of this world about souls and spirits and truth and love. And most of all, the work of Jesus Christ, his, his kingdom, we care about that stuff. It, it matters. Paul says it like this at the beginning of Philippians. He says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Okay, so it's not just this like, you know, uh, mushy love, we kind of all feel for each other. He wants it to be based on knowledge and insight. And he says, so that, verse 10, you may be able to discern. So part of your job as a believer is to discern what is best when it comes to this world. And that you may be pure and blameless for the day of who? Of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay. He's saying that things matter because of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus who gives us the ability to discern what's best, which is apparently one of our jobs. It's Jesus, he says here in this passage, that is going to judge us. It's Jesus that has the ability to declare us righteous. righteous. So what that means is that it is Jesus who gives meaning to our lives. You know, Jesus is what matters. Jesus is the reason that anything matters. And that's why Paul says earlier in Philippians, in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. That's what he wants to know, Jesus Christ. Which is to say that Paul is not a nihilist. And you and I are not nihilists. Things matter to us. But, but is it possible that sometimes we forget why things matter? We forget that Jesus is this unifying force reconciling all things to himself. We forget that Jesus is the standard by which we are to care about things. He's the way we operate as well. Is it sometimes that even Christians forget about that? I know the world has certainly forgot that. Uh, you can tell that in the world, most people are not nihilists. Things matter to them. You just have to watch news, you know, a news station. You just have to scroll through your social media. And people are constantly letting you know what matters to them, Right? They want you to know what matters, and they want that to be right in front of your face all the time. But if you eliminate Jesus from the equation, then how do they answer this question? Why does it matter? Well, there could be a lot of reasons 
that it matters to them. But mostly it has to do with what kind of pulls at their heartstrings, what they kind of feel inside of them, their gut, what their gut just kind of leads them towards. But the thing is that all of our gut, all of our hearts lead us in different directions. And if there is no standard like Jesus Christ to determine what matters and why it matters and how I should care about it, how I should treat others who care about it, then well, all you're left with is a fight. You know, why, for example, does animal life or immigrant life or unborn life matter if not for Jesus? You know, why does justice matter if Jesus isn't the standard of that justice? You know, why care about things that we've talked about recently, like racial inequality, if not for Jesus and his cross in blood in Ephesians 2? What is marriage based on if not on Jesus? Why does education matter or healthcare matter or alleviating poverty matter? Why do any of those things matter that people get worked up about and people care about? But why do those things matter if you can't point to, to Jesus Christ as the reason they matter? And some would say, like, that's the root of the world's problem. You know, they want the justice that Jesus preaches and brings. They want the peace that he makes. They want the equality, the love. They want this, this world of Revelation 21 where there's no more crying or mourning or darkness or pain. They just don't want the one who has the power to bring that world into existence. Like one person said, they want the kingdom without the king because the king requires things of me. So Paul says it like this about them. He says, for as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They're being, they're being guided by their gut is what he's saying. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Okay, he's saying if you lose the reason why things matter, Things will still matter, but you won't have any way to determine ultimately what matters most. Or let me put it like this. Things will still matter to you, but since we all disagree on why that thing matters, we're going to fight. And we won't have a way to solve the fight. And I think it's possible that Christians from time to time who've been hardwired to care because of Jesus Christ, sometimes forget that he's the reason they care. And that his example is supposed to determine how they care. And so what do they do? They fight. They fight. Which brings us back to Philippians. Okay, so open up your Bible here again to Philippians 4. It'll also be on the screen behind me. You've got these two Christian women Iodia and Syndicate, who are in a fight. Now, we've spent the, the past three weeks talking about how the body of Christ makes us stronger, strengthens our hand in God. So it's all about the good of the body of Christ. But it seemed like, you know, we were leaving something out if we didn't talk about some of the challenges of the body of Christ. And one of those big challenges is when you bring a bunch of humans together, that they're going to strengthen each other. They have this wonderful potential by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to strengthen each other's hands in God, but they're still human, so they're probably going to fight from time to time. And full disclosure, I don't have any particular fight in mind. I've been here for a while. There's been some fights. 
Occasionally I get drawn into fights between two folks at church and it can get a little messy. And then sometimes, you know, somebody wants to fight with me or disagree with me. And, and that's easier because I'm always right. But sometimes, you know, sometimes those fights are hard to resolve. And, but really, we tend to get along here at Highland. You know, part of our DNA at this church, and one of the things that drew me to this church at first, was that there is this real commitment at this place to unity. And you see that, for example, in our multiple worship services that all look different. So they speak to people's different preferences and desires when it comes to how they best express their worship to God. So you have people in these different worship services, and yet they're in small groups together. They're in Sunday school class together. They, they visit each other when they're in the hospital. They make casseroles for each other. So I feel like unity is a part of the, the DNA of this church. But sometimes, I mean, we're, we're a group of people. We're a church. And that means that sometimes we're going to fight. You know, to the degree that we fight, we're biblical because we're like Yodia and Syneke. Now, it's not necessarily the biblical you want to be, right? But even, even these early Christians fought. Now, here's what's fascinating to me about Yodia and Syneke. We know their names. Most of the time when Paul was talking about somebody he was frustrated with, he would not name them. Uh, for example, a little bit earlier in the letter in chapter three, he says this about some guys he's upset with. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. So this is like, this is a common you know, rhetorical technique. If you want to put somebody down that you disagree with, then you don't call them by name because that humanizes them. You know, it's a lot harder to be mad at Bob or Larry than it is to be mad or mad at, oh, what's his name? Yeah. Or what's her name, right? And so Paul does that from time to time. But Paul calls Yodia and Syndike by name. And a big part of that is proximity. These are women that he was close to. These are, these are women he worked alongside. He says, they have contended at my side. Proximity changes things. I'm reminded of the brother here, really great friend of mine. And we have this ministry down at LaRose Elementary downtown tutoring young kids to read. And I can remember he used to talk about those kids at LaRose Elementary. And then he started volunteering at LaRose Elementary, and now he talks about his kids at LaRose Elementary. You hear the difference there? And when he talks about his kids at LaRose, it's, it's pretty easy for him to start welling up with tears of just compassion and love for these kids. Proximity changes things. When you contend at somebody's side, it changes the way you view them, which is why you should come to church. I, I uh, purchased this box set of CDs of one of my favorite preachers years ago, and I just listened to it on repeat in my car all the time. And they're not his like all-star sermons that he preached at conferences. They're just his weekend, weekend, week out sermons at this little church in Cherry Log, Georgia, little church. And uh, he recently passed away. He was, he was older, passed away about a year or so ago. But in the twilight of his preaching ministry in, these, in this box set of sermons as you listen to it, nearly every sermon eventually gets to one point. I mean, every sermon, no matter what text he's starting with, he'll work through that text, he'll explain it, but he eventually gets to this one place where at the end of the sermon he says, and that's why you need to come to church. And I think there's a part of us that thinks, well, that's kind of old-fashioned. You know, it's kind of sweet. You know, this old fella wants everybody to be at church. That's kind of sweet. I mean, doesn't he know about soccer? You know, he, he must have been, you know, born back in a time when people didn't have much to, you know, distract them on the weekends with, you know, they wanted to go to church because it was the best thing they had going, you know, right? 
Um, you know, it was, this was before Netflix kept us up late on Saturday night. And, you know, if he had had Netflix, he wouldn't have really worried about you, you coming to church, right? Cause he'd understand you were busy on Saturday night. It's hard to get up early, right? Okay. You know, think about this, you know, we, we changed the way, you know, people that do research on churches have changed the way they count active church membership. So years ago it was, you were an active church member. If you came three out of four Sundays in a month, you know what it is now? One out of four. Sundays in a month, which is okay. I mean, there's soccer, right? And if you, you know, think about, you know, think about this. <clears throat> if that's you, right? And, and somebody at church says something you don't like, uh, somebody at church says something you don't like, something you disagree with, right? Are you going to be able to look at them and say about them, well, I disagree, but they have contended at my side. Because if you can say that about them, it changes the way you're going to fight. Here's the harder question. Can they say that about you? They've continued at my side, right? That's why you need to come to church because proximity changes things. But it's not just proximity. Okay, look back here at Philippians 4. Let me point out something. And this is the most important point. Paul doesn't just say that Yodia and Syndicate were at his side. He says this, they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. And so now we're getting to what really, really matters, the gospel, Jesus Christ. Let me give you the big picture of what's happening in Philippians. And we're about to start in a series in Philippians starting next week. So this will help set that up. Some scholars think that the whole reason Paul wrote Philippians is because Yodia and Syndicate are fighting. And he takes four chapters to get to Yodia and Syndicate. So he's saying all this stuff before chapter four, and then he's going to talk about them fighting. Well, what's he saying? Well, from the beginning, he addresses the letter. This is what he says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. Okay, then what is Christ doing for God's people? Well, being confident of this, that he, Christ, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, even about his current imprisonment, Paul's in jail when he writes Philippians, he says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel of Jesus, right? As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everybody else, I'm in chains for Christ. So he can say that we should be united with Christ, chapter two, in your relationships with one another, you should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, you should boast in Christ Jesus. You should consider our gains, your gains, loss for the sake of Christ. And we should press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me or us, right? Okay, so why, why all this talk about Christ? It's because Christ is all that matters. <laughs> or better put, Christ is the reason that anything matters. You know, he's both what we care about and he is how we care. But when we divorce caring or what matters from Jesus, all we're left with is a fight like Yodia and Syndicate. So I want you to imagine you've got, you've got Yodia in this small little house church and you've got Syndicate. And as, as it happens in church, both of them are, they're upset. And so what they do instead of talking to each other is they get other people to get upset with them, you know, cause they don't want to be upset by themselves. And so they've got their little group around them and Yodia over here and Syndicate's got her little group around her. And then just imagine as this letter is read over the church and it would have been read out loud. And this is what they keep hearing, Christ, 
Christ, Christ, Christ. Just imagine the effect of that. I want to start a, a, a church mediation business. I hear there's a lot of money in that. And, um, and basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to get two people in a conference room who are mad at each other. And they're going to talk and they're explain. I'm going to say, you know, what are you mad about? And he's going to say, well, she did. And I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to say, Christ. But he, can you Christ? But she, can you Christ? Can you imagine how frustrated you would be with me? But just imagine, right? That puts into perspective whatever it is that you're upset about if you're thinking at the same time about the global saving work of Jesus Christ in comparison to your little thing, Christ. And it also puts into perspective how you're treating each other if you're not treating each other like Christ. Don't you think that would, do you think it would work? I'm looking for investors. So Paul says this, right? He says, I plead with Yodia, I plead with Syndicate to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. What he does in the midst of this church fight is he reminds these women what really matters. Jesus, Christ, Christ. And he's not saying that their disagreement is insignificant. Maybe, maybe it's significant, but he's saying, if Christ was really the reason why this mattered to you so much, you would be willing to continue to work alongside each other in the cause of the gospel. But if Jesus is not the reason this matters to you so much, then you're just going to keep fighting. And there's nothing I can do about it. Right. You know, I always, as I think about what church unity looks like, <clears throat> obviously it doesn't mean we all have to think the same thing. Because we don't. Right? I, I've never seen that take place in a church where everybody thinks the same thing about something. And, um, and so I think there's a difference between unity and unity in Christ because unity is a fickle thing. You can be united with somebody at one moment, and then the next moment you disagree and you're going to be united with somebody else. Unity is a fickle thing, but Christ is not a fickle thing. Right? Does that mean we have to agree on everything? No, I don't think it means they have to agree on everything. Does it mean we have to, you know, vote the same way, watch the same news stations, uh, read the same books? No, I don't think it means any of that. It means that we respect each other in Christ and we stay in proximity because of Christ, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of his gospel. Okay. And does that mean that I get up here and I say the same thing every Sunday? Yes. You know, it means that every Sunday I'm going to be pointing us to Christ, but Christ is seen all over the world. You know, Christ informs everything. If Christ is the reason that things matter at all, then he appears all over the world. And it's my job and it's Chris's job to identify Christ in the world and to call your attention to him. I mean, the reason that the world is fighting is because nobody is standing out there when they fight saying, Christ, Christ, Christ. You know, I get a kick out of it when people say that some things are off limit to the pulpit in the church. Like we shouldn't talk about some things, whether those are politics or science or entertainment, right? Like those things are off limit to Jesus. When Jesus, Colossians tells us, Paul in Colossians is reconciling all things to himself. So there's nothing off limits to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You follow? Okay. And somebody needs to be out there saying, Christ, Christ, 
Christ. So every Sunday when you come here, what we're gonna do is we're gonna say Christ, 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 in the hopes that when you walk out these doors on Sunday afternoon, you will be out there saying Christ, Christ, Christ. And sometimes, I mean, sometimes we're gonna fight and that's fine. That's fine. But when you fight, I want you to ask yourself, do I think this matters because of Christ or does this matter because of something going on in me? That's what you got to ask yourself. And if you're fighting, I want you to stop it. <laughs> and I want you to come together and contend side by side in the gospel. Because I imagine if you, if you came together with somebody you're in disagreement with and determined that you two were going to contend side by side in the gospel despite your fight, that things would get better. You know, and sometimes you may disagree with me or Chris. And like I said, I'm always right. But there's Chris. <laughs> and... Let me say, I'm so thankful for what he brings us from this pulpit. Because I guarantee you, there's not a person in this church who loves Christ more than Chris. And he's got this tremendous challenge of identifying Christ in the world and coming and speaking to you those words, Christ, 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 so that you can go out equipped to speak those out there. And if you disagree with him, let me challenge you in this. I challenge you to pray as much about the text message or email you send him on Sunday afternoon as he has prayed about the sermon he delivered on Sunday morning. Because I guarantee you it comes from a place of love for Christ. You know, I think one of the greatest sorrows of our world, of our time, is that the one prayer of Jesus in John 17 that his church be unified has not happened. You know, the church is still incredibly divided. And that hampers our witness to the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about who God is. And I think that's one of the great sorrows of this world. But let me tell you, it is my prayer that this church will never be divided. That we will continue to contend side by side in the cause, side by side in the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because that is the most important thing. That's what matters. And if you disagree, I have a counselor I can refer you to. <laughs> he used to be a preacher at this little church in Texas. Let's stand and sing. Ashes, corn.